and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com. Did you know that your skin, your body's largest organ, makes up about 15% of your total body weight? And the skin on different parts of your body are exactly suited to that part of your body. For instance, the skin on the bottom of your feet is about seven times thicker than the skin on your eyelids. And today's guest and I will be talking a lot about the skin. Dr. Trevor Holly Cates was the first woman licensed as a naturopathic doctor in the state of California, and she's known as the spa doctor. She sees patients at world-renowned spas and at her private practice in Park City, Utah, with a, pra- with a focus on anti-aging, hormone balance, and especially glowing skin. And she's a host of her own podcast, The Spa Doctor Podcast, and also created the Glowing Skin Summit online, and I'll have links to all of those in the show notes. Also, I wanted to mention with gratitude the sponsor for today's podcast episode, Vital Proteins. They offer pastured, grass-fed gelatin and collagen powders, which are ironically also great for the skin. And they are um, pasture-raised and humanely sourced, and they just have incredible products. And if you want to check them out, go to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash gelatin. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Trevor. Dr. Trevor, thank you for being here. Great. It's great to be here, Katie. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to talk because you are an expert in skin health, and I feel like that's an important issue for so many people and something that so many people really struggle with. And I know I've talked to you about it in person, but can you explain how you became the spa doctor? Well, um, actually, it's it's pretty simple. I, I worked in a spa. I'm a naturopathic physician. I've been in practice for 15 years, and about five years ago, I started working in some spas, and and I got to be known as the spa doctor. And w- one of the things that I realize is even when I'm not working in spas, right now I have my own private practice in Park City, Utah, and I do consult with spas, but I'm not working in a spa right now. And, but what I realized was that you don't even have to be in a spa to get some of the benefits that people associate with being in a spa. So I, I work a lot with with educating people, teaching people how they can get a lot of the same benefits from their own home on how to in, like how to in, achieve that inner and outer nourishment that like just like they've just stepped out of a spa. You know, a lot of these you know, relaxation and nourishing things that people associate with being in a spa, you can do a lot of that in your own home. So that's how I've gotten to be known as the spa doctor. I love that. I, I would think it would be much more appealing to go to someone called the spa doctor than just a regular doctor anyway. <laughs> Um, let's talk about how the skin is such a good indicator of overall health because I get a lot of questions on post. Um, I have recipes for DIY lotions and cleansers and different skin products and serums. And people always ask if this will quote unquote fix their acne or their problem. And I've written about this in regards to eczema, but I always tell them that the skin is really just kind of showing you what's going on inside your body. So nothing topical is going to truly fix it if you're not addressing your body as a whole. And you've written on this so much. So can you talk about your take on this and how the skin, how, how does it reflect our internal health? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I consider skin our magic mirror, magic mirror of as a great indicator of showing us the health of our internal body. The health of our entire body shows up in our skin. So if people have dry skin or eczema, acne, rosacea, psoriasis, any skin conditions or signs of premature aging, 
then that can be a sign that the body's out of balance. And when we restore our health from the inside out, we can really have glowing skin, clear skin. So I, I work a lot with people on, a, really it's a two-step approach. You wanna address skin from the inside as well as from the outside. So the, you know, the foods that we eat are so important in our overall health, our digestive health, our hormone balance, our exposure to toxins, all of these things play a role in our skin's health. And a lot of times people just think, what can I put topically on my skin to just, you know, get rid of that problem? But really, uh, there's so much more to that. And and topical things can certainly help, and it is part of it. But what we do internally in that creating internal balance is is also very important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I feel like maybe sometimes the things we do um, topically or even just kind of as a Band-Aid for our skin can actually kind of mess up our health in other ways. I have a lot of friends and know women who have gone on antibiotics or on the pill to try to improve their skin or their acne. But just how you just mentioned with your skin reflecting your internal health, is that even a good idea? It seems like antibiotics would address infection in the body, but maybe that's something someone should look at as a whole. Like, is there an infection in my body I need to deal with? Or if it's the pill, are there hormone imbalances that I should really address before I just take this to fix my skin? What do you think on that? Yeah, you know, there is there is this general belief in conventional medicine that we want to suppress symptoms. So when someone has something like acne, what can we do to just suppress that? Rather than looking at why is this happening? Why why do we have eczema? Why do we have acne and trying to find the underlying cause of that and address that? Because with this is a very naturopathic approach and when we do find that underlying cause, the root cause of something and address that we're going to help not just the skin, but we're going to help the, help the health of the overall body. So with something like taking antibiotics, that might might create a short-term solution. It might suppress the symptom, might take care of it in the short term, but it creates imbalances in the body. When we take antibiotics, uh, we kill off not only the, the bad bacteria, but we also kill off good bacteria. And the good bacteria in our body help maintain a healthy balance. They help main, help our digestive system stay healthy and our immune system stay strong. And both of those things are really important for skin health. And so when we throw off the um, the balance, you know, the, the gut microbiome becomes disturbed, um, that balance of good bacteria in the digestive tract, um, then it, it affects the skin. And the skin has its own microbiome, its own balance of microorganisms that live on the skin that keep it in balance and keep it from breaking out, from from having eczema. From You know, it's this protective barrier that's there to keep the skin healthy. So when we do things like antibiotics, we're disrupting that natural balance that the skin has, and as well as the internal body. Um, and then when we do things like birth control pills, we're basically telling the body, you know, we're going to tell you a different way to balance the hormones. So they're synthetic. Um, it's a synthetic way of, of adjusting hormones, which actually suppresses testosterone, which is one of the reasons why it can help things like acne. But in the long term, you're, you're, you're throwing the hormones out of balance and it's just going to lead to other problems. Yeah, that makes so much sense. What are some of the things maybe that dermatologists don't often tell people, but that are really important to know? Yeah. And you know, I, I, I love dermatologists. I'm, I'm not a dermatologist, but I, you know, I do like dermatologists. They're great. And it's good to have them when we need them. But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation um, that is being shared. 
and or things that are is not there are just not being told. And um, so one thing is that the skin is a reflection of what's happening inside the body. We've already talked about that. Dermatologists really don't talk about that. They don't, you know, say, oh, well, you know, since you have eczema, maybe there's something going on with your digestive tract. They don't usually talk about those things. Um, the second thing is that the medications that we, like we talked about, medications that they're commonly prescribing don't really fix the problem. And sometimes um, they might help, but in the long term, not really addressing the root, the root cause. Um, the third thing is, um, you know, the skin has its own microbiome and dermatologists don't oftentimes talk about that, about when you put topical antibiotic um, treatments on your skin, that, that that's actually going to disrupt that skin microbiome. And again, short-term fix, but not a long-term solution. Uh, fourth thing is that what we eat can greatly impact our skin. And dermatologists certainly don't talk about this for the most part. Um, there are some integrative dermatologists out there. They're, they're not that easy to find. I had one on my Glowing Skin Summit, but I can tell you they're not easy to find. But in general, there are so many things that we can do with diet that can help the skin. And dermatologists generally don't talk about that. The fifth thing is that products you put on your skin also affect your internal health. So there are a lot of toxic ingredients in our personal care products that can disrupt our internal health, disrupt our hormones. For example, there are a lot of hormone disrupting chemicals in common skincare products and ingredients. And so um, on average, people use about 11 different personal care products uh, 11, 9 to 12 different personal care products that exposes us to over 100 different unique ingredients each time, each day. And so, and because the, unfortunately, the United States the FDA does not regulate the skincare ingredients very well, um, there are a lot of toxic ingredients. Whereas um, the United Kingdom, the UK, the EU has banned hundreds of um, ingredients in skincare products, the, um, the FDA has, has, um, has discontinued or um, has stopped the use of only, I think it's 11 to 12 that they have banned in skincare products. So, so the things that we put on our skin can affect our health. And a lot of times people think when you put something on your skin, it's just staying on the surface. But we know that that's not true. Skincare products are actually designed to penetrate the skin. So they do actually go get into your bloodstream. And some of these chemicals are known in research to create hormone disrupting effects. And, and so what that means is that you know, our hormone, our hormone systems and the, the synthesis, the breakdown, the, the actions of our hormones can be impacted. So things like thyroid problems, fertility issues, those are some of the things that we're seeing that people can have as a result of these exposure to endocrine or hormone disrupting chemicals. Yeah, that's staggering. I noticed that too. And for years when I was younger, I, um, especially like in college, I would use all kinds of stuff on my skin and I never really questioned it because it was kind of one of those like kind of you can get in denial of how can this really impact my body that much but it really does um, and as a follow-up you mentioned the role of food for skin health and uh, I love reading about this and researching it I think it's fascinating but can you talk about maybe some of the core foods that you recommend or say to avoid or things that might nutritionally be helpful for healthy skin yeah absolutely and and there are um, there the skin the foods that are 
particularly bad for our skin, I would say the two top ones are sugar and dairy. So with sugar, what happens is um, the sugar creates um, glycation issues. So sugar can actually bind to collagen and create you know changes in the collagen, make it less elast our skin less elastic, more, more hard and firm. And also sugar can and what sugar does too is um, when we eat a lot of sugar, it increases our our blood glucose, which then in return increases our insulin levels, which then can trigger an increase in androgens. And we know that androgen excess is one of the reasons why people get acne breakouts, you know, especially in the teenage years or when women go through hormonal um, changes, is that androgen excess that can cause us breakouts. So so sugar is is a big problem for for the our skin looking youthful and aging gracefully as well as for things like acne breakouts. And dairy is a big problem because in general dairy is a pro-inflammatory food, so it's going to create more inflammatory conditions in the body and inflammation is one of the big triggers for skin problems. I call it skin inflammation because things like acne and eczema psoriasis, there's a lot of internal inflammation going on in the body and that's one of the reasons why it comes out in skin problems. So again, dairy is is a more of an pro-inflammatory food. It also, um, there's actually been studies done on, on dairy being a big trigger for acne. In particular, skim milk seems to be the worst kind of dairy for acne. And I think it's probably because when we look at skim milk, it doesn't have the fat in it to balance out the sugar. So um, dairy is, it contains lactose, which is a, a milk sugar, naturally high in sugar. So if you don't have the fat to balance it, again, this can lead down the path of those high sugar problems that I was mentioning. And the third thing about dairy is that it contains hormones. And even if you buy organic dairy products, um, you know, there are hormones naturally in milk. It's just the nature of it. It's, it's a, a, you know, and milk comes from mammals to feed babies. So it's, you know, the, the way that it works is, you know, there's prolactin, there's growth hormone and other hormones naturally in milk. So again, and, and, and those hormones can, can, um, can trigger things like acne. So um, those are two foods I would say to be particularly aware of and be careful. Um, there are some foods that are really good for your skin too. Uh, for example, avocados, um, rich in monounsaturated fats, really good oils in there that um, that can help nourish our skin. And, and what's interesting about avocados and some of these other foods is you can put them topically on the skin as well as getting them internally. And you can get the benefits of those those fats both externally and internally when you eat them. And they're you know they're high in things like like vitamin E, which we know is good for the skin, vitamin A. And so avocados are a good one. Wild salmon, another thing, you know, it's high in omega-3s. So really great uh, for decreasing inflammation that I talked about being so important, as well as providing those really beneficial oils that our cells need, our skin needs to have that healthy glow. And um, and I wild salmon because we don't want to get farm-raised salmon. In fact, if people have the choice between um wild salmon and farm salmon and just, you know, um, I would always go with wild salmon. And if you don't have that choice and farm salmon is the only choice on the menu, I would even just skip the salmon because farm salmon is full of environmental toxins like 
PCBs. And, and so we don't need those extra exposure to toxins. And also they don't have the same kind of beneficial oils that the wild salmon has. That makes a lot of sense. And that's so fascinating what you said about sugar and binding to the collagen, because I've researched collagen a lot and it's fascinating to me, um, its role in the skin and how we can support that with diet. So literally sugar can make you look old and have acne at the same time. So not a good combination. Um, let's get practical for a minute. Can you give some specific suggestions for acne? Because I get this question a lot from readers, usually via email. And I know that in my teenage years, it can be a real struggle to have acne and you can be very self-conscious and it is always there and always just very visible on your face. So are there any good acne remedies or diet suggestions that don't require the pill or antibiotics? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I did mention sugar and dairy being big trigger trigger foods for acne. So definitely looking at those two foods and and trying to eliminate those. And really to get the best results when people are trying to avoid a food, um, you really have to avoid it for a good 10 days to notice the results and completely taking it out. Uh, so that's what oftentimes I'll have people do is take out at least those two and then maybe also adding in things like eggs and um, uh um, gluten, those are other two other big ones, as well as processed foods and you know, um, caffeine, alcohol. Those kinds of things also can be good to take out. So oftentimes with people with acne, we'll put them on um, a cleanse program where we're taking out these foods for 10 to 14 days. And, and as well as doing other liver-supported things, um, just to find that detoxification is really important for all health problems, but especially for acne. And so sometimes even people need additional detoxification support. Um, then also um, making sure that... Um, that you're, you know, having a good externally, having a good regimen for cleaning, having good skincare products. A lot of times people don't realize that the, the pH of the skin actually needs to be mildly acidic in order for that skin microbiome that I was talking about to flourish. And a lot of um, cleansers and, and topical treatments are actually have a very high pH, so they're not going to support that mildly acidic environment that the skin needs to have a healthy microbiome. And so looking at your skincare products and, 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 and whether or not they are mildly acidic, they generally want to be in a pH of around 4, 4.5 to get the best results. And that's not just for acne, it's really for overall skin health. But for acne, it is particularly important. And, and then having a daily regimen doing, you know, with a good cleanser and moisturizer. And people oftentimes think that they don't want to put any kind of oil on the skin because, um, because it's going to create more acne breakups. But breakouts, but it actually depends on the type of oils and the type of moisturizer you use because sometimes people have acne, but they also have dry skin. So, so you know, finding personal care products that work well for you. And then a, a few other treatment suggestions is there's um, been some good research on 4% niacinamide gel, which is a vitamin B3 topical treatment. And getting that, applying it twice daily to the skin can help relieve acne. So that is that is a nice treatment, 4% niacinamide. And I get my local compounding pharmacist to make that for my patients, but I do think that it is available um, over the counter as well. Um, and then also zinc deficiency is sometimes occurs with people with acne. So taking zinc can be a good nutrient to make sure that you have as part of your regimen. 
Those make a lot of sense. Um, this might be a controversial one, but what about Botox? Because I've been recently shocked to find out that even among women my age and my friends, that Botox is pretty popular, and I don't feel like we're even that old yet. Um, are there risks or problems with Botox, and are, are there any natural anti-aging solutions for the skin that maybe don't require injections? Well, I've looked at the research on Botox, and I haven't seen anything so far that's come out on, on long-term negative effects. Now, certainly people that can have some short-term problems with those, that, especially if they don't go see someone that is um, is particularly good and trained in doing these, they can end up with um, uneven-looking faces, and it just doesn't look real. You know, it's, people just don't look natural when they've had a lot of Botox done. Um, so. Now, and it, it Botox is a neurotoxin, and so basically, what you're doing is when it's injected into the skin, it's paralyzing the muscles, and it's it's a kind of a if you think about it, it's kind of a scary thing to be doing. So even though the research doesn't necessarily say they're negative long-term effects, I I am concerned that um, that they, we might be finding something out in the future. So I do try and discourage people from doing that, um, and. And certainly, like I talked about, some of the things that we talked about with decreasing sugar intake is really important to help make sure that our skin ages gracefully. Um, and and then um, doing those topical treatments with mildly acidic applications of you know cleansers, serums, moisturizers, and a mildly with mildly acidic formulations are going to help the skin age gracefully and not get those early signs of you know wrinkling and fine lines you're going to be less likely to have those in addition there are some some studies that show that um, the the using mildly acidic skincare products could actually in the studies that actually reduce the depth and length of wrinkle size so using those kind of products really are important um, and then you know they're they're certainly having a healthy diet but I do I do encourage people especially young people you know look for other ways to enhance your beauty and and have graceful aging to having Botox done in your 20s 30s it's I mean I think it's it's kind of, um, it's really unnecessary, and I've heard that it helps prevent wrinkles, and that's one of the reasons why why young people are doing it, And I, but I, I haven't really found anything in the literature that really shows that that's true, and I haven't seen that that's necessarily true in my practice, too. I've seen people over the years getting Botox, and they still seem to be aging just like everybody else. Yeah, I think it's unavoidable for sure. So just yeah. to clarify on the naturally acidic um, facial products, that's fascinating. I've never heard yeah. that specifically before, but would that be things like a vitamin C serum if it was the right pH or things like that? Yeah, vitamin C can be naturally acidic. And what people can do is um, sometimes some of the skincare products will actually list on there what the pH is. Um, or you can contact the manufacturers and ask them what the pH of their products are. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of research on it, but it's definitely worth it. Um, I I am creating my own skincare line, and hopefully it's going to be ready in November. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is because it's hard to find a whole system of the you know the cleanser, serum, moisturizer, the whole system that is all mildly acidic and you with natural ingredients. So that's why, why I'm, I'm creating my own because people keep have been asking me over and over again, where can I get this? And it's they're hard to find. They're not that easy to find. And there is this myth out there 
that if you're getting natural skincare products, that means that you're getting, you know, you may not be getting the exposure to the, the chemicals, but they're not going to work, which, which now I realize there is the science. We have that information to design products that can actually be natural and effective. Yeah, that's, I agree. And I'm really excited to see that there seems to be a lot more interest in um, people are demanding these kind of options. And I think we're going to finally, like you and, and so many others, have great options soon. Um, and another tough skin problem that I know a lot of people struggle with, and especially that their children struggle with, is eczema. And it's so heartbreaking to see little kids who are suffering with this itchy, painful skin. And I know so many moms who are just like at their wit's end with dealing with their child's eczema and they don't know what to do. So can you talk about some ways that we can help address eczema both internally and externally? Yeah, I've gotten the best results with eczema with more of a focus on an internal approach. And so the biggest things that I found with eczema are digestive issues and food intolerances or allergies. And so it's it's important to look at digestive health with skin problems, but especially with eczema, because a lot of times what's happening is um, you probably talk with your audience about leaky gut syndrome or the hyperpermeability of the digestive tract lining. Yeah. What happens, you have talked about that. So just to kind of go through that again, it's just, you know, the, the digestive tract can become more permeable than it should after, you know, having a poor diet from stress, from medications like antibiotics. And so then what happens is when people eat food, those the food, instead of um, just passing through the digestive tract, it can slip through those little openings, those, those leaky gut, those, the hyperpermeability. And, and then the body sees those little particles as foreign and creates an, an immune response. And that triggers inflammation and leads to a number of health problems. And one of those health problems is eczema. So the way we help address leaky gut syndrome is, is avoiding, finding and avoiding any foods that are trigger foods as well as healing the digestive tract lining with things like probiotics, which help with the gut microbiome, and, and other nutrients like L-glutamine that can help heal that digestive tract lining. And then also, you know, the identifying the food intolerances, there's a difference between allergies and intolerances, as I imagine your audience knows, and doing testing to, to determine that or doing a, um, an elimination and reintroduction diet can be helpful to identify those foods. Now, I find that especially with kids, it's hard to do the elimination and reintroduction diet. So oftentimes we'll do testing. So there are specialty labs that look at specifically at food intolerances or food sensitivities. Um, as um, And then there are allergists that will look at food allergies to see if, um, if someone has those things. Because it might not be the most common things that we think of, which are, which are you know, dairy and gluten and eggs and soy, which are, you know, those are some of the common foods that we think of as triggers for allergies and intolerances. I've actually seen kids, for example, I had, I've had um, patients, for example, that their parents took the you know, children, they were taken off of, of those common foods and were giving them other things. And then we found out it was things like almonds. And here they were, the parents were, you know, giving them almond milk to help with, you know, to avoid dairy, but the big trigger food was almonds. And so um, when we took that out of the diet, the eczema cleared out. So it can be pretty simple, And then, but if somebody's had it for a really long time, that repair of that digestive tract lining can take a little bit longer. 
Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, so to make sure I understand and listeners understand, even if they've had like allergy testing on their child and they know that there's maybe a peanut allergy, but that was the only allergy that came up, they could still have an intolerance that wouldn't show up on an allergy test, but that could be contributing to things like eczema. Correct. Yeah. So when someone goes to see an allergist and does a skin prick or the those the scratch test, that's very different than the types of specialty labs that at immunoglobulins like IgG and IgA that indicate when those levels are high that that indicates a food sensitivity or an intolerance and the difference is you know with an allergy those are oftentimes more anaphylactic or immediate types of reactions like eating a food and developing hives that can be more of an allergy um, or environmental things or like cat dander and that sort of thing those are usually more of an allergy whereas intolerances they can be an immediate reaction but but m more commonly, they show up as chronic symptoms like eczema. That makes sense. Okay, so another skin issue that uh, is less common, thankfully, but that I know some people who struggle with. In fact, a friend of mine recently had a tough time in her pregnancy with melasma or that darkening of the skin that can happen for pregnant women. Do you have any insight onto what causes this or things that maybe they can do to help reduce it? Well, it, it does seem that with that, there's really no known cause um, for melasma, but we do know that with pregnancy, the hormone changes that occur increase melanin production, which melanin is the, the pigmentation. And so it's, it's usually a combination of genetic factors as well as changes in hormones and sun exposure. So what people can do is, is you know, make sure you use really good sunblock on your face, especially if you're pregnant, and um, to help prevent it or to help keep it from getting worse. Because really, that's it, once it happens, it, it does take some time for that to subside. Um, there are some natural skin lighteners like vitamin C that you can apply topically to, to the face that are you know safe to use during pregnancy that can help reduce that hyperpigmentation that occurs that that mask of pregnancy. Another time that oftentimes happens is when women are on natural pills because again we get these big changes in hormones. So that can oftentimes cause that that discoloration along the cheeks that's known as the mask of pregnancy or melasma. And so uh, for those people I generally recommend finding a different form of birth control, going off birth control pills, and then it usually clears up. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, can we talk about some specific skincare or skin damaging ingredients that people might find in their skincare products? Are there specific ones that we should be on the lookout for that are kind of the worst offenders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that we oftentimes are, you know, slathering our kids and ourselves up in the summertime with with sunscreen. So one of the the main ingredients in sunscreens is oxybenzone. It's it's found in many sunscreens. Um, there are other ingredients too that that can also be harmful. But this is one of the the big ones, and this has been shown in some research to be or have hormone disrupting effects. So we want to be careful with with using these kinds of chemicals on our children and ourselves because um, especially with children, their bodies are so small, their livers, you know, their their detoxification organs are they're smaller and they're rapidly developing and growing. So we want to be particularly careful with kids um, that we're not giving them any additional 
um, chemical exposures. And I know as parents, I've got three kids myself, we want to protect our kids' skin from the sun. And we, you know, we put on lots of sunscreen, but unfortunately that's one of the ingredients is in most of these. So what I would suggest is that for people to get rid of those sunscreens and instead look for um, for onesies because we still want to use sunblock. We still want to protect our skin and that of our, our precious children. Um, so using ones that have zinc oxide, uh, those are going to be more of a natural barrier um, ox uh, sunblock than oxybenzone. So you can actually find that. It used to be that you can only find them in a really pasty form. And so people would end up with like, you know, the streaks on your nose or your cheeks. But now we can get zinc oxides in, in better forms where it spreads evenly and it's easy to use on, on children. I would just have people steer clear of the spray um, sunscreens as well um, because what happens is that goes into the air and then we our children breathe that in and the particles especially if they're nano sized particles tiny little micro particles even though zinc oxide and titanium dioxide tiny little particles they can get trapped inside the lungs and there are concerns about the safety of that so just sticking with zinc oxide and doing, um, you know, applying it topically, um, you know, just as a, as a cream. And then another big one is um, fragrance that is in so many personal care products. And unfortunately, fragrance is a broad, wide term where a lot of chemicals can be hidden under that without having to be put on the label. So unless it's natural, such as from pure essential oils, you want to stay away from a skincare products that say fragrance. So those are two. I can keep going on these if you want, but I just wanted to give a couple as an example. Awesome. Are there any ingredients that you would specifically look for or that would be maybe a good indicator that it's naturally acidic? Um, you know, we did we did talk about vitamin C. That's one that I think is is good. It, you know, partly it depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, there are certain oils that are particularly beneficial for the skin, like sea buckthorn oil is a is a nice one for the skin. Um, and you know, there there are a lot of different ingredients. It really depends on what you're what you're trying to do. But um, you can also make skincare some things in your own kitchen. I just um, I've I've demonstrated this on TV shows and things on how to you can actually and you probably do some of this too of how you can just whip something up in your blender to make a nice face mask. And I do this with my daughters. We do a little spa day at home, and it's really fun. Where we we do things like putting in. Um, one example is putting, I'll put in avocado and blueberries and some soaked almonds and a little bit of coconut water. And we'll, we'll just um, put that all in a blender and then put it turns into a paste and we put it on our face and let it sit for like about 10 minutes. And it's very moisturizing to the skin because of that avocado. And then you can, if you have any leftover, you can actually just turn it into a smoothie. But add some coconut milk and, and um, it, it turns into a smoothie. You can also add some honey in there too. Honey is great on the skin. Sugar is actually great on the skin too. And you, um, you put that um, in a mask. It, it, it acts as a nice natural exfoliant on the skin. And the skin really likes sugar. It, it responds well to that as well as honey. Now, of course, internally, it's a different story. But 
Um, but yeah, there are some great things you can do in your own kitchen. That's awesome. Well, can you leave us with a few of your best just general skincare tips, whether they're DIY or you mentioned some great ones just now, but um, just kind of general skincare tips. And I'll make sure I think you've got posts on a lot of these. and I'll link to them as well. Yeah, great. And and again, it's really a two-step approach. It's that internal approach as well as the external approach to addressing our skin. And one of the things I wanted to mention is I know we've talked a little about aging and the aging skin and wrinkles. And I think one of the things that we want to do is realize that aging isn't something we have to fight, that we're all getting older and it's okay, that when we have wrinkles, it's, you know, we don't want to get them any earlier than we should and we don't want to look older than we are, but they're a sign that, you know, we've been living life and and experiencing things and smiling and laughing and that's what causes those wrinkles. So I don't think that there's something we should cover up and hide, but you know, we want to do everything we can internally and externally to make sure that we have a glow, that we have clear, clean, glowing skin. So things like avoiding the triggers that we talked about, such as the as dairy products and sugar, particularly if you have acne prone skin or eczema prone skin, and um, looking at the toxins in your chemicals in your skincare products, starting to get educated on that. I've got blogs on my website about the top 10 ingredients to look for in skincare um, products that you want to avoid, and then you know, top seven foods and worst foods to be eating um, for skin. You also want to create balance, and we want to, well, I talked about pH balance, and we want mildly acidic environment on the skin, and then internally we want more of a, a higher and alkaline environment um, internally to help with with our health. Um, Also creating balance with our hormones is important and our gut bacteria as well as our skin microbiome. Reducing inflammation is really important for for the skin on the outside. That means looking at the ingredients and um and then also addressing gut issues and and food that foods that increase inflammation. So we want to reduce inflammation and detoxification is really important externally as well as internally. So we want to detox the skin on the outside and, and, and our skin is one of our, our organs of detoxification of elimination when we sweat through the skin. So we want to take good care of our skin so we can have good detoxification. And, and then the final thing is to nourish. We want to nourish inside and out some of the same nutrients that nourish our bodies on the out, on the inside um, can also help topically when we put them on the outside. So inside and outside nourishment. And um, I do have um, an ebook called Glowing Skin from Within. It's available on Amazon as as well as for people who've signed up for my Glowing Skin Summit. It's free when people register. Um, so there's lots of great information on there on the, the top best and worst foods as well as, as the big triggers that, that lead to problems with skin. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will include links to all these as well, but where can people find you online? Yeah. So my website, drtrevorcates.com. So D R T R E V O R 
C-A-T-E-S.com. And then on my website on the homepage, there's a skin quiz, and that's completely free. You can just take the quiz, and it'll give you some great suggestions on on what you can start doing to improve your skin and how so you can have glowing skin and vibrant health. Awesome. Dr. Trevor, you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great being here, Katie. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any past episodes, I would be really appreciative if you could go to iTunes and leave an honest rating or review, since that helps other people find this podcast and listen to it as well. Also, if you'd like to get my seven simple steps for healthier families guide, plus my quick start guide and a free week of meal plans, head on over to wellnessmama.com and enter your email and I'll send them to you right away. Also, another just gracious thank you to uh, Vital Proteins, Gelatin, and Collagen Powders. They're the sponsor of this podcast, and they make it possible for me to keep bringing these episodes each week and um, getting them edited and out on time. And they have two main products that are just incredible. I use them both. And in fact, gelatin is one of my favorite skin ingredients, and it's something I take or use in some form pretty much every day. Uh, And I really believe that that has helped me not age quickly at all, even with uh, all the pregnancies and babies I've had. Um, And they have two different products. There's some confusion about them usually. So to break it down, they have a green lead one that's a collagen protein, which is a gelatin. And that's the type that will gel in liquids. So if you're trying to make marshmallows or um, gummy vitamins or fruit snacks, that would be the one to get. The blue one, collagen peptides are do not gel, but they're easy to mix into foods and drinks and they won't clump. So that's perfect for mixing into coffee or tea or smoothies or soups or anything you want to just sneak extra gelatin and get the benefits, but without the texture or the taste of the gelling. Uh, And all of their gelatin and collagen powders are pasture raised and just they're really, really good high quality products. And our family uses them daily. And if you'd like to find out more about them, go to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash gelatin. Thanks as always for listening and have a healthy week.